But it's been a big year in the world of football, uh, particularly for the Matildas. They won the Don Award uh, last week for their efforts at the World Cup. Didn't finish on a high. Lost both the friendlies uh, to Canada, 5-0 on the weekend and 1-0 uh, yesterday afternoon. So just to put the year in perspective, talk about the Socceroos and some other issues in f- football. It's a great chance to speak to Robbie Thompson, uh, Channel 10 and Paramount Plus commentator. Hello, Robbie. Good morning, Julian. How are you going? Very well. Uh, great to speak to you again. What did you make of the two performances uh, from the Matildas against Canada and, and how much should we read into them uh, as we, I guess, building up to an Olympic campaign next year? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Certainly, the overall feeling was underwhelming, I think, after, I mean, there's such a hype around the team that any time they don't win and, and perform with that energy that we saw at the World Cup, I think we come away feeling a little bit underwhelmed. There were reasons for it. I mean, this was probably after the Olympic qualifiers in Perth, which was another resounding success for the for the team. Those three matches, three wins, 13 goals scored. This was the only opportunity really this year to try and try something different, if you like, in two matches that are really just friendly matches and perhaps open to a little experimentation. That's certainly... The, the word that came out of out of camp, that that's what these two matches were going to be used for. There's also the fact that these were the friendly matches, two very important games for Canada because they were seeing off a trio of, mm. of Olympic gold medalists who were retiring, including Christine Sinclair, who's the greatest goal scorer of all time in international football, men's and women's combined. So, look, they wanted to send her off in style. But, uh, look, it takes nothing away, I don't think, I certainly hope, from, from what has been that incredible year for the Matildas. And look, every time you go out, you want to win. It didn't happen. The 5-0 defeat was, was, was a bit shocking. There were plenty said after that game as well. 1-0 yesterday was a different performance. It was still, we lacked that little cutting edge. There was no Sam Kerr. There was no Mackenzie Arnold. And it still could have, could have happened, but there was just that energy missing. But look, it's been an amazing year, and I don't think it should take anything away from it. No, 100%. As you say, Sam Kerr missing yesterday. There's no Courtney Vine. Unfortunately, no, a couple of weeks ago, Holly McNamara suffered that ACL tear. Just looking ahead to the Olympics, and obviously there's a really good core of Matildas there. Is squad depth still a bit of an issue for Tony Gustafsson? Well, we were having a chat about this um, in between the two games with the with me and Grace Gill and the other the other people on the panel, just because there's been so much talk for so long about this golden generation. And we're talking about a group of players, you know, eight or nine of them have over a hundred caps. I mean, this is an experienced group of players. And when you, when you think that they're still, you know, late twenties, early thirties now, they've still got another couple of years in them. I don't think it's alarm bells shouldn't be ringing just yet. Um, And also when you have a team that is performing and competing at the very highest level, which is what the Matildas are doing now. We've never had really a team competing at this level in football regularly. You can't afford to take your foot off the gas. You've got to play your best players. I mean, you've got to look for new players coming through, but that's where you want your under-23 sides, your under-21 national teams, your development programs to be trying to lift to the level of, the, of, your, of your senior team and get them in. I think there's, there's pressure on this team now, um, which we love. I think um, at the Olympics, for the Olympics anyway, next year, we're going to be sticking with a, a very similar looking squad. The World Cup squad was 23. The Olympic squad is only 18. Mm. 
So already we're talking about shedding five players from that World Cup squad and, and then thinking perhaps are there new players that can force their way into that? That's a big ask. That's a very big ask in less than a year, year's sort of 12 months of football to try and cut out nearly a quarter of your squad and also perhaps insert a new player. Holly McNamara probably would have been that player um, just because she was so unlucky to miss out on the World Cup. She was looking like she was going to be part of that. That second ACL injury put paid to that and now a third ACL injury in just, a, in just three years. I mean, it's heartbreaking mm. for her and she is probably the player that would have been in there. And Courtney Vines currently out injured, like you said, as well. I mean, these are players that are going to come back. It's going to be tough. I think, I think basically, I think the Olympic squad is there and it will be ready to perform. Don't forget, we were semifinals at the Olympics in Tokyo as well. So this team, this squad feels like it has unfinished business and perhaps, you know, sticking with them is the best bet. I guess we probably shouldn't put the, the cart before the horse, Robbie. We've still got to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, exactly. It's in February next year against Uzbekistan. Is there... I mean, we should get through Uzbekistan, but uh, I guess nothing's a certainty in football. No, absolutely. And we've seen that, you know, it took until midway through the second half to open the scoring against Chinese Taipei in that final game in Perth. It took an absolute screamer from Mary Fowler. Um, we saw in the men's game, for, for perhaps listeners that are more familiar with that, Saudi Arabia beat Argentina at the World Cup last year and Argentina went on to win it. So, you know, there's no such thing anymore as a, as a given, as an easy game, particularly in the women's game where it's growing so fast and, and other countries are putting a lot of money into the women's game as well. Uzbekistan, look, they're not a force at the moment. They're an emerging force in the men's game in Asia and they're going to be a handy team probably at the Asian Cup um, next early next year for, for the Socceroos perhaps to have to negotiate at some point. But, but for... Um, for the Matildas, they should get through. I mean, they should get through. It's, it's important, as you say, not to put the horse before the cart, but all things being equal, the Matildas should get through that. We're away first in Uzbekistan, but then the home game, which there was some talk that it could be played at the MCG in front of 100,000, that would be an intimidating atmosphere for any visiting team. So that's the, the sort of conversations we're having around the Matildas at the moment is filling 100,000-seater stadiums. They should get through. They should be going to do Australia proud at the Olympics next year. Just on the Olympics, uh, Robbie, speaking to Robbie Thompson, Channel 10 Paramount Plus uh, football commentator, how shocked were you to read yesterday that uh, Team Great Britain will not be there? Yeah, it is It is shocking. But, you know, this is it's one of the great anomalies with football. Why, why? I mean, the only country, Great Britain or the United Kingdom, actually, they're the only nation that's allowed to have four regions playing um, national team football, if you like, in England, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. So when it comes to the Olympics, that doesn't get through. That's a FIFA directive. So football allows and, you know, rugby and other, and other sports, because they're so different, they have, you know, they have their own currency, their own governments, etc. But it's, the United Kingdom is the country. Great Britain is the, is the country. So perhaps, you know, it's, it's always a little bit shocking, but I don't even know if they'd really perform amazingly well anyway. We saw we, we beat them at the, the last Olympics, the women. But there's no doubt that England, as themselves, are, are an outstanding football team in the women's game. We know they're European champions, made the final of the World Cup as well. It is shocking. More shocking was perhaps the, the way it happened. I mean, yes. they beat Scotland 6-0 <laughs> and they were going through and the Netherlands scored two goals after the 90th minute to, to secure their place ahead of them. So, look, that's the other thing about the Olympics. It's only a 12-nation competition. 
as well. So it's really the, the elite of the elite. People are saying, oh, it's, you know, England aren't going to be there. It's not, it's not going to be a great competition. It's going to be a great competition because it's the Olympics. It's everything that the Olympics represent. And, and the Matildas, fingers crossed, will be there in Uzbekistan. Yeah, the Belgians uh, let the English down badly. Just looking ahead to the Asian Cup for the Socceroos, Robbie, just with the Bruno Fornaroli's been in outstanding form for Melbourne victory this year. Seven goals in his six matches so far. Does he have a role to play at the Asian Cup? Julian, I, I, I know you're a very avid follower of it as well. I'd throw it back to you because I'm, I'm looking at this as, you know, I have a certain technical um, vision of, of what he does and what he brings. But also as a fan, I want someone like that on, on the pitch doing what he's doing. He is in outstanding form. I was so lucky to, to be calling that game last, last Sunday. And the game was nothing special for, you know, for 45 minutes. And then suddenly this moment of absolutely breathtaking inspiration I mean, he nutmegs his first player, uses his strength, rolls a player, and then the execution of that goal was just outstanding. And that moment shows what he's capable of. But it's the other 90 minutes where he runs himself into the ground, where he demands more of his teammates, where he is a leader um, emotionally, technically, everything. I think you want that sort of player in this squad. Yes, he's 36 years of age. Yes, you know, I I don't think the the naturalisation... Um, argument should even come into it at all. We've had, we've got, you know, several Scottish-born Australians in, in the side. Yep. I think if there is a question mark, it's the fact that he's 36 years of age. But he is in some of the best form we've seen him in Australia. He is an outstanding player, and that technical vision that maybe I can bring to this this discussion then is the fact that he brings something very different. Yep. He won't press like Mitch Duke. He won't press like Jamie McLaren but he can play back to goal. He can be a target, unlike any other player we have, against sides that are going to sit back and play, you know, a packed defence against us. He can be that anchorage point in the, in the front of the attack. Players can play off him. Players can move off him. And he's got ice-cold blood running through his veins when it comes to being a player in front of goal, as his seven goals in six games a test this year. So, look, I think it's, a, it's definitely a conversation that Arnie has to have with his assistant coaches and they'll be looking very carefully at it. But look, Jason Cummings and Graham Quall went to the last World Cup on the strength of their A-League yep. form. They were not in the reckoning up until, you know, just week. Graham Quall was not in the reckoning until the World Cup squad was announced, basically. And he went and almost got that equalising mm-hmm. goal against Argentina. I think, I think, look, I think they're open to it. I think Bruno's showing that he, he loves playing for the green and gold. It's a dream of his. And I, I don't think you lose anything. He does, we're not saying he has to start every no, game that's right. at, the, at, the, at the Asian Cup. He brings you something. He gives you an option. And I just think he's, he's such a talented footballer. I'd say take him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, scoring goals for the Socceroos has been an issue. And if he's someone you can yeah. bring off the bench if you need a goal, it makes perfect sense if he keeps this form going. Robert, just on the A-League, it's been a fascinating opening six weeks. It's, it's hard to get a read on who's good and who's not when you look at you know Melbourne City traditional pace setters in seventh place. Uh, Sydney have had their struggles. Both those teams have changed managers. The Mariners are really struggling. The defending champions in the top four at the moment, Phoenix, Western Sydney, MacArthur and the Brisbane Raw. Uh, It's hard to get a read on how this season's sort of going to play out. Exactly. And the biggest concern probably is that we're coming up to week seven um, this weekend with, with another, you know, really exciting round of fixtures and some huge matches as well. 
but we're almost a quarter of a way through the season. And you always think when you have these surprising starts to a campaign, oh, yeah, but it'll even out. Central Coast will come back. Melbourne City will come back. Sydney will be there. Brisbane, MacArthur, they can't keep going. Wellington, we're a quarter of the way through the season nearly. And they're there. Wellington Phoenix are undefeated. MacArthur undefeated. I mean, these are these are teams that we've never seen this sort of form this deep into a season, even if it's, you know, we're just starting to really start to warm up. But they're there. Um, and I think alarm bells will be ringing for the likes of Western United, you know, champions two years ago, five defeats in a row. The Mariners, we thought they'd turned the corner, but they've only got one win so far this season. Melbourne City, just two wins out of six. Um, we've seen coaching changes. It's been it's been a really dramatic start to the season. And the, the most important thing, and this is perhaps the, the thing that we have to get across to football fans in Australia, is that the games are super entertaining. They are. They're super competitive. And like Fornaroli, we're seeing some quality that is that is just outstanding that you wouldn't see anywhere else in the world. You can watch your Premier League, your, your Liga. You turn it on here. Perhaps some games, the intensity is not there. Perhaps, you know, there are, the crowd's not there. But in terms of the football on the pitch, our footballers deserve so much more credit than they get here. Yeah, and we're producing some great young players. Uh, as we know, I want to talk to you about the English Premier League. So Manchester City, uh, three draws, get beaten by Aston Villa this morning. And normally when we see in Man City lose a game, a lot of the times they've had the bulk of chances, the bulk of possession. Villa, 22 shots to two this morning, seven on target. Uh, so City are on 30 points. Manchester United are in crisis. They're throwing, they're banning journalists from press conferences. There's talk about Eric Ten Hag's future. They're three points behind Manchester City that are seen as the best team in Europe and still probably the favourite to win the English Premier League, even though they're six points behind Arsenal. And you've worked in Europe. It is fine lines between you're going well or you're in a crisis uh, in leagues like the English Premier League. Absolutely. It is crazy. And you're, right. you're absolutely right. Manchester United, I mean, the problem for Manchester United probably is that at the moment it's all or nothing. Yep. And, and, and Premier, League, Premier League is probably one of the leagues that can still stand alone without needing a little footnote of how they're going in Europe. But Manchester United's European form is probably also affecting mm. this discussion a little bit. They've had some fairly, not humiliating, but surprising results in, in Europe as well. The problem is it's nine wins and six defeats yep. for Manchester United. Yeah, no it's draws or nothing season. at the moment. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Not not a single draw. They're conceding goals. Um, they're not scoring perhaps as many. And that you know, Manchester United are traditionally a dominant side. They they dominate. They score freely. They they don't just win. They they play with style and and wallop sides. I mean, that's their tradition. And these traditions uh, are important in the English game as well. It's like Barcelona at the moment, who are you know right up there still, but they're struggling a little bit in Spain and. The fans are just furious, calling for the head of their coach, saying, this is not Barcelona football. This is not what we want. And I think that's the thing that's affecting Manchester United at the moment. A word on Aston Villa. You say I worked in Europe for a number... I worked with Unai Emery, Brilliant. who was at PSG for, for three years. And he is such a meticulous coach. And I think Aston Villa, what he's doing, that's 14 wins mm. at home in a row. Arsenal were the last team to beat them at home. And that was in February... Of, of, of this year. I mean, they are on an outstanding run. Um, and Unai, what, what the, most, the thing that strikes you the most about Unai when he works is how he leaves absolutely nothing to chance. You talk about those statistics, he would think that's absolutely normal. I was part of, you know, at PSG when we beat Barcelona 4-0. 
and this was the, the great Barcelona side, and they didn't have a look in because he had planned every single moment of the match, every possible eventuality, every single thing that a player has to do at every moment of the game. And in the end, at PSG, it didn't work out because there were probably too many egos in the dressing room to be told this at every step of the way what to do. But if you have a team, he had amazing success with Seville in yep. Spain, Sevilla. He had great success with Villarreal as well. He comes to Aston Villa, which is one of the underrated sides, a traditional giant of the English game, but not those egos. He's got players that, are will- that say, when he says into the dressing room, look, if I do this and this and this and this, if you do what I say, we're going to go 14 games undefeated. We're going to beat Manchester City and not give them even a sniff of a result in the Premier League. We'll be sitting third after 15 games. You know, at a bigger club at Real Madrid, you'll have players go, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> at Aston Villa, they go, oh, my goodness, please. We will do whatever you want if that's the case. And that's what they're doing. And that's what he's doing. This is the perfect environment for him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see whether a big club comes knocking if he continues that. Aston Villa is a big club, but I mean the real big clubs that they come knocking if he keeps that up. Uh, Robbie could chat for ages. Love catching up uh, to talking the world of footy. Another great weekend in the A-League and A-League women's coming up as well. Thanks again for your time. Fantastic, George. Speak to you soon.